Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, powered by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we go on the water with some of the top athletes from three events, show skiing, barefooting, and everything in between. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hit It Podcast. I had the opportunity to interview none other than Freddy the Nightmare Kruger. Yes, the real Freddy Kruger was in the virtual studio here at the Hit It Podcast, and it's not every day you get to interview the greatest of all time, the GOAT Freddy Krueger. We talk about his 2022 season and what to expect. Also, we recap 2021 where he earned his 14th Masters title, which tied him with Andy Mapple with the most Masters wins of all time. Later this May, we'll see if Freddie can capture that 15th title and be the leader of most Masters wins of all time. A lot of ground is covered in this episode. We talk about Freddie as the athlete, Freddie's preparation, and also Freddie as a family man. You're not going to want to miss this one. Here's my interview with Freddie the Nightmare Kruger. Well, we're back in the virtual studio on the Hit It podcast with Freddie, the Nightmare Kruger. Freddie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Well, Freddie, it was interesting. We were talking over um, a couple of weeks ago about the centennial of water skiing. And I was asked the question, what did the centennial of water skiing mean to me? And my response was, Throughout human history, uh, the, human, uh, the human being has always known water for something, whether that was to uh, go to the pond for a drink, to catch fish to eat, maybe for enjoyment to go into a boat or something like that. But it wasn't until 100 years ago that somebody got up behind a boat and was able to ski. And back in 2015, you accomplished jumping 312 feet. And I ended my comment of saying 100 years of water skiing to understand the progression of the sport of where we were and where we've come, in my mind, boils down to Freddy Krueger jumping 312 feet. So I just wanted you to know that. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's, uh, you know, to be even, you know, thought of in that as, as being a part of that centennial moment is uh, humbling in itself. So I, I appreciate that very much. Well, Freddie, one of the things about uh, this podcast is we are we are ready for ski season, and a lot of our listeners are getting ready to you know hit the water, maybe hit their first tournaments. And um, you've been doing it for so many years and have had such great success. I was thinking about it last year, where if we put together the last four decades from 1999 through the 2000s through the teens to 2020s. Um, you've had a master title, master's title in all four decades. So you know how to gear up and, and get ready to compete. What is Freddy Krueger doing to get ready to compete here in 2022 as we uh, segue from spring to summer? Well, a little different feel um, this year uh, and, and honestly last year by not having that Mumba Masters under our belt already. You know, Karen and I have been a part of that event for nearly that entire 
time that you're talking about there. So, um, you know, typically it's to get back in January, you know, January from the holidays and immediately start gearing up to get ready for that event. Um, and there's pluses and minuses to that, right? Like it's, you know, you come into this time of year, you're already hitting on all your cylinders. You're in a kind of a maintenance mode. The downside of that though, is your season becomes incredibly long. I mean, I've had uh, a, a couple of seasons where multiple seasons, honestly, um, in the last decade where I was starting aggressive skiing in January and not finishing up until, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, maybe even we had a couple of events in Chile that were happening the first weekend in December. So, um, you know, I mean, those are exhausting timeframes, just not even physically on the body, which it was, but just mentally, you know, on your mind, never having that time to step away. So this year's been a little bit, you know, last year was hard to get, I don't think anybody was comfortable because nobody knew what was going to happen with COVID and, you know, all of that. But this year, we, we you know, we kind of know what the landscape looks like. We know we're going to have events. Um, we've been a little more lackadaisical getting that time started on the water um, than working hard in the gym. But we've been, I would call it cherry picking those days a little bit, looking for, um, you know, a little calmer water, a little warmer days to, to get warmed up. But we are definitely, um, you know, full throttle now where we're, you know, obviously in the gym, on the water, you know, all everything's got to be hitting on all the cylinders, getting aggressive and trying to build up. And periodization is a, is a real part of what we do. So we're always trying to think about, you know, okay, we've, you know, we've got the masters at the end of the May, you know, we want to be by middle of May, you know, we want to feel like we're at, you know, 98% of our potential and, and then rolling that through. And, and once that event is done, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of just let off the gas a little bit and, and start trying to figure out what's, what's that rhythm of the summer look like where you're kind of letting yourself wind down and then ramp back up both again, physically, mentally, in, in all aspects. Well, that's an interesting comment there because, you know, um, you as a professional jumper, you're talking about how long the seasons can be and for the regional water skier or the skier inspiring to go jump at nationals, those are really the times to peak. And it's maybe two or three times to really peak in a season where you go into a tournament like the Masters uh, needing to peak and then maybe have just a brief amount of downtime before it's time to peak again at a major tournament. Talk about how you're able to uh, respond that quickly to be at your optimum potential throughout the season. Well, I, I think the reality is, 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 as you just said, you know, okay, listen, I'm going to hit, I want two or three peaks in a season. And, and I don't think for professional athletes that those are really different in terms of the numbers of what your peaks and valleys are going to be. Obviously, then if you've got events sprinkled in between there, what you're doing is you're, you're picking your, your primary events that you're going to peak for. But then those secondary events, you're, what you're going to do is control the backside of it. And again, when I, I think from an athlete standpoint, you know, again, your peaks and valleys don't necessarily need to be, oh, well, I'm going to perform well at this event and I'm not concerned about not performing well at this event. It's really, truly more about the, what I believe sets me up the best for success is this type of training, this type of mentality, this type of and you gear up for that. And then when you come out the backside and you know you've got more events coming, your on the water isn't, you know, the aggressiveness, how intense you're training, that may not change that much. But again, you might set in some more days where you 
just don't go to a lake and look at the water so that you get a mental break from it. You might back off from the gym and rather than go four days a week, you, you back it off to two. You know, you, you're, you're not, it's not as though you're, you know, either like a light switch on and off, but it's, it's literally more about, again, a, a how, how long can your body physically handle working at its optimal level? And I mean, if you think about like a bodybuilder, we would never expect them to be at, you know, their peak showing uh, show bodies all season long. They, they have to lose all that weight and then gain some of it back and build the gains. And, and so you've got to kind of think of it that way as you're doing your season. And so just because you're, you're maybe in a little bit of a downtime coming off of an event, you know, coming off of a Masters and then two or three weeks later, maybe you've got an LA night gym. It doesn't change the intensity that you're going into the event with. It changes the intensity that you might prepare for it with because you've already done all that work. Very interesting. No, I, I love that. Uh, that's that's a, a, a tremendous mind frame to have. And, and I wanted to go back, Freddie, to last year as, as we're touching on the Masters. I know you're preparing for the Masters. This podcast will be released um, going into the Masters that um, I thought 2021 Masters had to be extremely special and rewarding for you, um, considering that was your 14th Masters. That's hard to believe. And it also tied Andy Mapple with the most Masters titles ever. Um, and it was an interesting setup. It kind of had a storyline all the way through the tournament. Uh, Joel Poland had a big jump in the prelims of a 221. Um, but we knew, and I could, I could feel the buzz on, on site that uh, it was kind of the Tiger Woods, the Freddy Krueger is coming, coming for the youngster on Sunday. And you put out a, a 222 in the final. That was enough to get the win. Uh, but it was just a tremendous tournament. I just wanted to hear from you how that tournament felt last year. Well, the, you know, I've, I never, I've won 14 on into the event feeling like I should win. It, it's more always felt like an I, I can win, you know, and that's, um, I've always approached the sport a little bit from that underdog type mentality. Um, Last year with, with Ryan not being in the event, it had a different feel for me even leading up to it. it. All of a sudden, it felt like you should win. And then you started adding on these pressures of if you do, you'll tie Andy Mapple. You'll, it'll be your 14th. It, you know, all these things that come along with it. And that pressure, I think that pressure was somewhat evident on my Saturday's performance. I, I was distracted. I wasn't, I wasn't approaching it the same way. And I think that's the, you know, the thing about sport that people, I think people that are in the sport struggle to understand it. And I know that people outside the sport struggle to understand it. But we, we have this mentality that once you do something, you should be able to continue to do it. You know, you don't realize how much stuff ebbs and flows. And from a mental standpoint, people don't understand how your mindset changes. You know, there's a confidence that gets built when you you know, my wife, Karen, has had a, a, a great saying that is, I think it's the truest definition. Confidence breeds confidence. You know, the more you do good things, the more confidence you have to do good things. But one of the things that gets overlooked is that the more you do good things, the more people expect good things, the more you expect good things. And then all of a sudden, your the whole perspective shifts. And there, it's different types of pressure. And so, you know, when that when that was done, 
there was a, a flood of emotions that surprised me. I, and, and the surprise wasn't, you know, the emotion wasn't that, you know, necessarily that I had done 14 and I had tied Andy Maple and all that. A tremendous amount of that was just the, the relief of I should win, felt like I should win that event and I did win that event. And, but how hard that battle was, and it shows, you know, the, the talent and the youth that are coming up. But, you know, it's, it's, as I get older, the more I'm in the sport, the more I'm realizing how much, you know, what you do physically, how you handle yourself on the skis, what, you know, what you, you bring, you know, into the, to the sport with outside work that you're doing, all of that is tremendously important. But the mental aspect, the mental game is, is it's its own torture for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, it was a special moment and, and we could tell the emotion was there and obviously 14 uh, championships there at the Masters and to think your first one was back in 1999, just an incredible feat. You've mentioned your wife, Karen Truelove Kruger and Karen has been competing at the professional level for many, many years along with you. A very, very special relationship. But as you go through the season, as you prepare, even in that tournament where you uh, came out of the prelims trying to maybe scratch your head a little bit, trying to figure out what you were going to do for the final, uh, talk to us a little bit about your relationship in the sense of um, how you guys work together to gear up. Well, there's nobody gets nobody gets anywhere on their own, right? Like you, everybody that succeeds at something, there's a team of people along the way that have picked them up off the mat. They've driven them to practices. They've driven for them in practices. They've coached them. They've helped them find coaches. They're psychologists, you know, whatever, you know, they're, you know, whether you're a parent being a psychologist or a professional psychologist, right? Like we, we all fill so many roles and so many roles are filled for us. And I kind of made this comment literally just yesterday talking to Karen that, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, she was a professional skier before I was a professional skier. You know, I mean, she started, I mean, her, first event was probably in the early 90s that she started challenging on the pro tour you know with a mastercraft athlete before i was a mastercraft athlete so you know karen was the first in a lot of ways and she brought to our relationship a professionalism that helped me get organized and has helped me be better and there's not even a disputable fact that my career would be a shadow of what it is now if I wasn't with her and I know I wouldn't still be able to do what I'm doing if it wasn't for her because she's the one that's continuously looking at you know hey there's an extra you know two percent that we can improve here we can do this with our food we can do this with our gym we need more preventative maintenance here I mean she's while I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off she's getting it all organized and keeping it to where we're able to keep doing this at the levels that we're doing it. And I don't know exactly when it was. I, I remember a Moomba, and this is, I mean, this is a while ago, right? This is, you know, seven, eight years ago. I remember being at a Moomba and running my finger down the starting list because I have this thing where I count back eight guys. And when I go back eight guys, eight guys before me, I start my warm up. Five guys before me, I, I start looking for my tape. Three guys before me, I'm getting dressed, et cetera. So I'm going down the list. And I get to the guy that's eight before me and I don't recognize the name and I get down and I get to the five guys before me and I, I, I don't recognize that name either. I get, I'm down to the third guy before me before I recognize the name because 
the guys that I've been around the sport are, you know, they're retired or they're not there or they're, you know, whatever. And then I go over and I start doing it to women's slalom and I'm laughing and I'm like, Oh my God, like we are strangers in our own sport, you know, on, on that side of the world and all of that. Right. But that's been the experience. And, you know, when, when you have that, you realize all of a sudden you're like, Holy cow, we are in uncharted waters. We can't look to all my whole career. I've been able to look to what, you know, Bruce Neville did, Scott Ellis did, Jarrett Llewellyn did, um, Andy Mapple, you know, the things that he did to teach us, you know, there were always those ahead of us. And now, you know, we're supposed to be those people. Right. But I mean, it's other than like a Scott Ellis that I can look at and say, wow, look what he's still been able to do. You know, we're, we're there. And, and I'm realizing more and more each day that again, without Karen, I wouldn't be doing this still today. I would, I would have gotten distracted. I would have gotten hurt. I would have, you know, I would have been somewhere else. Wow. That's powerful. That is really powerful. And so with that said, you're going to turn around, I think, uh, if I understand the schedule correctly, after Masters and get ready for LA Night Jam on June 18th, uh, 2022. Now, that is um, at Bennett's Water Ski School, Zachary, Louisiana. Actually, that's the first time that I ever saw you ski was way back when you were um, working for Jay at the ski school. So that's a familiar sight to you. But it is a night event. There's not too many of those night events. There's some that are international. There's some that are domestic. But I've, I've heard some interviews with you in the past as you prepare for those tournaments, uh, obviously uh, a lot different when it comes to the site picture. Um, but I've even uh, heard some comments that you don't want to look into the lights. Your eyes will dilate. That could mess up your timing, could mess up your site picture. Tell us how you prepare for a night jump event. So night i think the most challenging part of any night jump event is the fact that you really can't prepare for them you're you're thrust into them some guys seem to just roll into it and have less issue for me personally now i will say that the you know back in the late 90s early 2000s when we called them night events lights were a little harder to come by <laughs> and so they were you know maybe the ramp was lit up but you couldn't see the landing or maybe the landing was lit up but you couldn't see the ramp you know it was you kind of had to pick your poison but i mean my first i don't think i scored a jump in my first two night jump events but the first one i think i passed all three the second one i passed the first two didn't ride out the third one i mean it but i was the mentality that i've always been the mentality that when i wasn't good at something you know some athletes might go to a site they might go to moomba and, and they don't perform well. And maybe they go back a second time and they don't perform well. And they just say, you know what? Hell with it. I'm not going back. I, I, that place just doesn't work for me. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to solve that problem. I'm going to get good at it. And I've done all things, all kinds of like ridiculous things. I mean, I tried to build my own light stands. I've done, you know, I've thought about it and I sit down and I watch videos of it and I do all this. But the main thing is just understanding that you're starting to understand that your body defense mechanism is to when you in the dark when the, when things like a, a ramp are so lit up it becomes larger than life it looks and feels like it's twice as big so then you feel like you're twice as late and you want to hurry up and go to the other side and the first thing i always tell somebody that's going out the night jump for the first time is, is like i tell them hey listen your eyes are going to play tricks on you you're going to feel like you're never going to get there but halfway through your turn and you start to the first wake, you're going to look up and you're going to see the ramp for what it is, and you're going to be early. So just 
just go with that and then trust your your adjustments from there but yeah there's little tricks all the way along that i've learned you know over the last 25 years of doing night events like you know when i i get dressed in a dark area i don't i don't sit right under all the lights and and let my eyes you know adjust to that when i'm standing on the shore watching the guy before me i never watch him from a backlit because i don't want that in my you know again i don't want it in my eyes when i'm doing that because as we're setting the lights up for jumping we try to make sure that we're not you know at any time in the course direction that we're going looking into bright lights so um little tricks like that that you know i'd, I'd call those the you know the old dog old dog tricks if you will where you know you pick up little pieces like that while the young guys are are nervous and bouncing around and joking around and staring into the light. You know, the old guys are all over in the dark, looking down in the dark grass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, Freddie, you were talking about your career dating back to the nineties and, you know, the young, and, and back then you were the up and coming youngster that was chasing down the Bruce Nevels and the Scott Ellis's. And now you're on the other side of that in uncharted territory. I was I was curious to know with all that preparation and the experience that you've learned um, over the course of four decades, for the most part, um, what would you do if you could go back to your 20 year old self and say you were doing this wrong? You should have trained differently because you might pay for this down the road. You know, that's a great question. I've never really thought about it that way. My initial comment or thought when you're saying that is. You know, there's there's a lot of things in my life that, sure, I'd like to go back and, and maybe change and do differently. But the terrifying thing with that is it would be changing an outcome, right? Um, and for me, the as a young kid coming up in the middle of nowhere, as far as the ski world was concerned, not being one of the the good juniors that was, you know, making national teams or going to qualify for a junior masters or anything like that. I mean, literally being a nobody, I, I would almost be terrified to, to try a different path. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense that it's worked out as well as it has, you know, sure. I'd love to tell my younger self that, Hey, you don't necessarily need to land on your head 27 times in the first three years that you're a professional jumper on the tour. But those aggressive, being that aggressive, being that tough, being that resilient has, cre you know, created mental environments, if you will, that have helped me when we went to World Cup events and there are, you know, huge steamers going by and, and waves, ha you know, lapping halfway up the ramp where, you know, you say, hey, I'm, I'm tough enough to handle this. I'm experienced enough to handle this. So, not to cop out on the question, but my answer would, would be I, I, I don't, wouldn't want to reveal much to myself because I don't know how many paths would get me back to where I am today. And to be completely honest with you, you know, when I was 16, 17 years old and wanting to do this, all I ever wanted to do was just, just win one. Just show the world that you're good enough just, just on one day, one given time to to win one of these pro professional events and be mentioned with the best in the world for even just a short period of time. Like that would have been, that was enough. That was a goal. And then the idea that, you know, 27, 28 years later to have a career where I've won, you know, nearly half of all the professional tournaments I've skied in. I, I mean, 
how much can you change that path and still get here and, and not tumble that house of cards, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I like the answer. I don't know. Uh, when it comes from the greatest of all time, that might be the recipe right there, Freddie. I, uh, I, I'm <laughs> curious to know, um, as you go into this year, uh, because you have, I mean, the statistics are, are definitely right there in your favor. And anytime you're in a professional event, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be one of the guys that's going to be favored to take the win still to this day. And you've been able to maintain that for so long. What does, what does Freddy Krueger have left to prove? And I would follow up with that question is, uh, we, we had Scott, the rocket man, Ellis on our first episode. And he said, you know what? I think Freddie would like to take down the world record and, and he's still capable of doing it. So I just wanted to throw that question out there. Two questions there, right? What would yep. you like to do? And what, what do you feel like you, I think you said it, I feel like I still need to prove. Yeah. To, to, to um, prove and, and, and what, and, and, and I, it sounded like Scott believes that you could probably go out and jump a world record still. Uh, well, I appreciate Scott very much. <laughs> <laughs> and and listen in my in my own mind yeah i of course i i still feel like i have the capability with everything coming together that i could do that whether that's realistic or not is is a probably a longer conversation i feel 47 years old you know like i'm i i re, it's hard for me to remember what i felt like at you know 25 30 years old but i mean i remember having a, I get a, I get the days every now and then where I'm, I'm walking around and I've got that spring in my step, you know, and I'm, I've, I've got an eight year old, and a 13 year old, and we're, you know, kind of bouncing around and, and being hard on each other. And there's, there's some days where I, you know, I feel like I've, I've still got a full tank. And then there's other days where I'm wondering who stole the tank at this point in time, the easy answer to, you know, what do I have left to prove is, is nothing. I, I can in all seriousness say that if something tragic happened to myself or to the sport or whatever, and I had to walk away tomorrow, I can do that with an absolute feeling that, you know, I've done so much more than I ever thought was possible. So much more than I ever set out to do. I'm, I'm good. I, and, and, you know, does one more of, of anything make my career or make it not as good. I, I don't, I don't think it will. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I'm good with that, but in, you know, would I like to win a 15th masters? Absolutely. Would I like to, you know, win a sixth world championships? Absolutely. You know, would I like to, you know, just keep, just keep winning. I mean, that's winning. I, I mean, let's be honest, winning is fun. Yes. I would like to do that. And I, and, and there's a part of me that, you know, though, as I'm again, thinking about my health in, in a slightly different way, as I've got two young men that are, are quite athletic in their own right. You know, I want to continue to be able to play basketball with those kids and, and, you know, and let them see me jumping at a high level and encourage them, you know, to do what, what they want to do. So all of that weighs in. It is, it's definitely a more complicated position. Again, rewind the clock 20 years, even 15 years before I had kids, life didn't feel simple, but it was simple. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, everything's so much more complex now not only with the kids, but, you know, the, the responsibilities that Karen and I have taken on outside of, of competing and doing the, you know, the, I'll, I'll call it the contracting work with our sponsors where we're helping develop products and 
stuff like that. It's there's a lot of balls to keep in the air, right? And so, um, but I have thought about that question a lot in terms of coming into a season and saying, hey, what is it that I feel like I have to accomplish this year? And I mean, I'm I'm at a piece that, man, I've I feel like I've carried. I've met my expectations and I have to think I've met anybody else's expectations. And, you know, I say that to Karen all the time, like, Hey, nothing to prove. Cause you know, you're, you're the last one on top of this mountain that you're on. Cause there's nobody else with it doing what you're doing. And, and I, I've at least had Scott standing up there sharing it with me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And, and it's, and, and it's really not a question to put you on the spot. I think it's one of those things in which we we look back and we see your career and how unbelievable and remarkable it is. And to think about jumping and just the sport of jumping to get the motivation, not only to get the motivation, uh, like you're saying, for tournaments, but to get the preparation to what is necessary to be prepared for those tournaments and practice. Um, that an average person just cannot show up and do that. And to, to be in a position where you can continually bring yourself to that level is unbelievable and amazing. And so, uh, and I understand what you're saying. I, I can only imagine with your two young uh, boys growing up, how, how the formula gets changed. You know, uh, Scott had mentioned in, in, on our interview that it's almost like if you had a pie chart and uh, one of the pies, the, the risk tolerance just got widened a little bit. I didn't know if you looked at it the same way. I, that's, I mean, that's a, a really interesting analogy. And, you know, there's, there's a, um, you know, in our house, there's very much a, a lead by an example, you know, mentality, whether that, I mean, believe me when I tell you that oftentimes the examples aren't good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, we, I, I want my kids, you know, I talk to our boys about that it's okay to fail. You know, failures, it, I always say, listen, we always learn more from our failures than we do our successes. You know, Karen, uh, I think she's an amazing mother, parent, in terms of helping them understand the difference between here's what it takes to, to succeed and, and putting this energy and effort in. And then when things don't go well, how do we respond to that? But like anything, it's easy to kind of, tell somebody that the hard thing when you have a have the kids is then all of a sudden you catch yourself and you say okay what would I have told dash in this scenario mm -hmm. and now I have to live that a little bit and I'll tell you what that even that mind shift is is uh to, to some extent is detrimental to being a top level competitive athlete but, but and I mean listen to, to get to a, a really high level in anything right I don't care if it's it, it can be, you know, finances, it can be your business, it can be athletics, it can be anything. To get to a very high level of something, there's a certain amount of selfishness that, that takes. I mean, every CEO that's out there deals with the dichotomy of, you know, am I a good parent? Did I neglect my kids? Did I, you know, right? Because the business consumes their life. And being an athlete is every bit of that and more. And so, I, to me, that's the hardest hurdle is that realization that, okay, if I do this, if I do these things, I'm neglecting my wife, I'm neglecting my kids, I'm neglecting this. And that, that balance is what really is, that's the real difference between, you know, now today and, and 10, 15 years ago. Sure. Well, and, and this is a story, you may not remember this story. Like I said, the first time that I, I got to see you ski was at Bennett's and this was a long time ago, this was probably 20 plus years ago. 
I remember, and it's one of those attributes that, you know, that you've had the entire way has been this attribute of grit. And uh, some of the listeners may not know this, but at one time you were pursuing a wakeboard career at the same time you were jumping. And I remember you being on that main dock right there at Bennett's and I overheard you say something like, man, my body just really hurts. <laughs> but jumping and wakeboarding and trying to figure out the balance, but whatever the case, and, and for the most part, you made it to a very high level in wakeboarding uh, before you focused your attention on jumping. But that, that uh, determination, that attribute of grit has carried you so far. Um, I would just think it would just be an unbelievable opportunity um, for your kids just to be able to see and witness that. Because I know uh, as us as spectators and fans, when we see you out there competing, there's something extremely special going on. And so, I mean, I just always look forward to hopefully we get another five to 10 more years of Freddy Krueger jumping just to witness what we're <laughs> witnessing. Well, I am a big believer that our childhood, our environment is, is, a, is a huge part of what creates that personality or your mindset and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a saying that's going around in the internet, I, I hope I say it correctly, but it, it says that strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, hard times create strong men. And as a, as a parent, I want my children to, you know, to have a better life than I had. And I had an amazing life, right? But at the same time, I'm, I'm, that thing is always in the back of my head. And I, I don't want it to be so good for them that they don't grow up to be strong men. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, wow. and in, my, in my childhood, I had unbelievable family support. My, I mean, my family was, they, they were the people that told me that you can do anything you put your mind to, you know, and they, and they gave me all these opportunities to be successful at whatever it is I wanted to be. My ski club that I was a part of was full of amazing, amazing people. And it was when I left those environments and went into, you know, the schoolyard or into a public school. And as a, in, in, when I was in high school, when I entered as a freshman, I was 4'11 and I weighed 78 pounds. So I was about the size of your average fifth grader when I went into high school. And so every day, you know, I mean, hey, let's be honest, just going to the, just going to take a leap was a testament of a challenge, right? Like, I mean, it was, it, there were scary moments there, you know, like I was always on defense and, and had to essentially be ready to fight because there were always kids picking and picking and picking and picking. And that, I, I think a lot of that determination and a lot of that grit and a lot of the toughness came from that environment. And so in some ways, Obviously, I don't, I would, you know, as a parent, I never want my kid to go through those same types of tough moments. But as a, as a parent, you know, and as a man, I do want them, I want them to struggle because I don't believe that you can be successful and, and tough and, and all that without struggle. I, I mean, I, I think we can learn that from plants and animals. And, you know, I think God designed us that way. So, you know, we, we, Again, it's the balance, right? And so, you know, I told talking to my son Dash about the other day. I said, why are the best boxers, the you know, young men that come from very troubled uh, environments, whether it be from family situations or you know, being extremely poor, whatever, they're literally fighting for their life to get out of those environments, and that's that's where you get some of that. So, you know, athletics is not always the best 
place to find the most stable-minded, most mentally healthy people. I, it, it just isn't. And so as we do, you know, we're, I think what we're learning in this environment globally today is, is you know, are there, are there better ways to succeed in, these, in our sports and keep our mental health at a level that, that's healthy for not only us, but those of us, those that have to be around us. Yeah, no, no, no doubt it. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible con comment and insight. And one of these days, Freddie, and like I said, I hope I'm, I'm announcing and getting to see you jump for the next five to 10 years at a professional level, wherever it may fall. But one of these days, I think you provide so much insight. I've heard you announce um, many times, and I would love to announce with you because your ability not only to look at the sport, what's going on on the water, but bring in all of those aspects and be able to understand that and explain that uh, is so beneficial to the sport that uh, hopefully one of these days we can work together on a tournament. Well, thank you. I, I would enjoy that. Well, Freddie, I mean, unless you think we've missed anything, there was a lot of ground there. And uh, man, this has been an awesome podcast. And uh, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, hand off on where people can find you, your sponsors, um, anyone you would like to thank. Well, um, you know, I, I think I'd start at the, the top. You know, we've, we've mentioned her a couple of times in the, in the interview here. You know, I do want to thank my wife and, and my kids for everything that they do and put up with and, and helping us you know, continue to, to enjoy this little journey. Sponsors, you know, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it all this time and I couldn't continue to do it today if it wasn't for uh, Mastercraft Boats, Innovation Controls, D3 Skis, you got OJ Props in there, uh, Masterline Ropes and Eagle Wetsuit, and, and our families, you know, our, our parents have, you know, when Karen and I need to jump on a plane and fly somewhere um jack and Sue, true love and and then fred and rose krueger they boy they don't hesitate to you know hop down and t help take care of the kids or meet us at tournaments and help us balance all that out so like i said you know you cannot get here without a village you know they say it takes a village to to raise a child but i i assure you it takes a village and a half to 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 raise an athlete as well <laughs> well said well said well freddie thanks so much for joining us today and we'll be cheering for you and good luck at the masters thank you so much i look forward to seeing you guys there thanks for listening and come back to catch future episodes as we chat with water ski legends and current stars of each of the sports disciplines as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of water skiing thanks again to our sponsor visit central florida we'll see you next time <laughs>